3: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. It is Friday. Uh, Congressman Pocan was not available to us on Wednesday, so here he is today. Thank you so much. Congressman Pocan is the uh, co chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus he also represents brilliantly the 2nd district of Wisconsin and apparently several other districts in the neighborhood where he shows up like Paul Ryan's district because Paul Ryan won't do town halls there so if Congressman Pokan does pokan.house.gov is his website you can tweet him at rep rep R E P mark pokan and he will be with us for the whole hour taking your calls at 202 808 25 congressman welcome back
0: hey thanks Tom very glad to be here
3: and so it's middays with mark on Anything Goes Friday and after after this first hour it'll be Anything Goes Friday um, I, I'm curious your thoughts on the uh, the tariffs uh, uh, both Mexico and Canada have reacted and I guess Europe is reacting too uh, your thoughts on all this
0: you know I, I, it's not much different from when he first started talking about tariffs is we've still been waiting to see a cohesive comprehensive uh, Understandable policy about trade from this president because we really haven't, Um, you know, much of uh, those of us who have been concerned about trade for a very long time, based on uh, labor law, um, sovereignty issues around the ISDS provisions, environment, etc. You know, we come at this from a very different place than Donald Trump. Donald Trump largely comes at this from a xenophobic sort of background. So, during the election cycle, the top lines he said certainly were reasonable, right? That we should have uh, fair trade and that we've got trade imbalances and we need to address that and we could have better trade deals. The problem is he hasn't shown any understanding beyond those sentences. And now when we see some of the tariffs, you know, instead of going after China, which everyone knows is probably one of the bigger uh, issues that we have out there, we're going after some neighboring countries, and in some cases the president's even saying things that don't make sense. Like on German cars, uh, a lot of German car manufacturers have facilities making cars. Here in the United States. So again, it just goes to if I thought he actually knew what he was doing and understood the issue, and it wasn't just because he's America first for a xenophobic reason, um, I would have a little more comfort. But right now, I've got some real, uh, you know, indigestion on what he's doing because I don't know if, in the long run, it'll accomplish any of the goals of those of us who've been working for years on this issue.
3: Yeah, there was a long piece in the Financial Times about this this morning, and of course, they're free traders. I mean, you know, they're 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 in with the neoliberal consensus. And uh, which both you and I and Donald Trump theoretically disagree with, but uh, their point was, you know, if he was doing this in a way that had a coherent organizational structure or framework around it with a clear philosophical base, so you could predict where he was going and what was going to be next, and if he was doing it in anything more than five-year tranches, I mean, apparently the Canadian uh, the Canadians pulled out of NAFTA when when uh, Mike Pence insisted that after five years ago away, and I think that's because Mike Pence is thinking, you know. Six seven years, he might be president right. if he, you know, and and uh, you know, Pence represents the, the 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 corporate side of the Republican Party. He represents the the uh, the Chamber of Commerce and whatnot. Whereas Trump represents the racist part of the Republican coalition. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, the business, according to the Financial Times, business just, you know, they're they're just throwing their hands up in the air because they can't, you know, they've got they've got to have some level of certainty.
0: Well, in think. About, yeah, if you were trying to come back to America like we're trying to do, get companies to come back here, if you don't know what certainty he's doing with tariffs, because I'm not against tariffs per se, they can be used very effectively. I'm not sure that he's doing them effectively. Right. But how are you going to encourage people to come back here and produce jobs in America if they don't know if uh, their, some of their input products or other things could all of a sudden be challenged by other countries because we have an incoherent uh, trade
3: policy coming from this president? Right. And uh, the lines are starting to fill up. We'll, we'll pick up our calls in just a second. Just one other quick question. The uh, I understand that the leadership of the Democratic Party has uh, taken a position now on the intentional breaking up of families and a new policy started under under the Trump administration in a big way, for which he is weirdly blaming Democrats. Uh, exactly
0: I mean you know this is again you know Donald Trump uh, if his lips are moving he's likely lying and in, in one of his tweets that he put out uh, he basically said this is a policy you gotta blame the Democrats when we know it's his administration that's made the case to separate families is trying to somehow disincentivize people from coming but you know in some cases they're literally ripping babies from the arms of mothers who are seeking asylum it's not like people sneaking into the country and you know some of the things that people don't like about uh, what they, you know they think uh, is the issue but this is asylum seekers, uh, women with, uh, and families with babies being separated uh, to maybe never get back together again. And, and you know, the Democratic leadership uh, in both the House and the Senate today put out a statement. Obviously, many members have been um, saying this for you know, quite a while, especially since it got a big focus at the end of last week. But I'm hoping that when we all go back next week, this is something that gets a lot more attention.
3: Yeah, if you're a parent, just imagine this Republican policy of tearing your child from your arms and imprisoning both of you. And you have no idea if you'll ever see that child again or if they're going to end up you know, being sold off to, to human traffickers, which apparently has happened. Um, and, and, and if you don't have children, just imagine yourself as a child being torn away from your parents. It's just mind-boggling. It's just mind-boggling.
0: Family values, Tom.
3: Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So let's pick up some phone calls here and uh, you know, see where we're going with all this. Kyle in uh, Enid, Oklahoma, you are on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. It's our Middays with Mark Friday edition.
2: Well, thank you guys for taking my call. Uh, Congressman, I I just heard something this morning that really, really disturbs me even more than all the other things that we're hearing about the president. Uh, And you may already know this, Tom, but he came out, and I don't know, it was Eastern Time, of course, and tweeted an hour before the markets opened how, uh, I'm paraphrasing, eager he was to see the jobs numbers. Right. Everybody needs to see the jobs numbers. Now, I was a broker for a lot of years. I, I know that that... And, and knowing what you all are saying and what I agree with about his personality, he wanted to draw attention. He had seen the numbers already. Right. Now... Yeah.
3: He's, he's basically revealing insider out? information here, allow? Kyle.
2: Yes, yes. How can you? How can Congress sit back? I'd go to prison if I did that. If if I had tapped into those numbers and, and distributed them to one person and was caught, how can... This thing is getting out of control in a hurry. Why won't Congress? Uh, if this won't create a situation that Congress would put their foot down, I don't know what would. I yeah, yeah. If I'd have caught that an hour before the open, I could have made. I could have made some money. I know the market didn't explode off of the numbers, but, but you can't do this, these things. You just can't do this. Uh, I don't know. Even know – I used to say Trump is taking us into the twilight zone, now I'm saying I, I, I'm, I'm feeling more like he's taking me into hell. I don't know what's going on with
3: this guy. It's a banana republic, Kyle. Uh, Congressman? Well,
0: uh, yeah, Kyle, I mean, uh, you yeah, I had the same reaction you did. Um, you yeah, I saw the tweet, uh, I think it was at 7:15 or so this morning my time, a good hour before uh, they came out. And um, you know, watching his administration try to spin now that oh, he didn't say they were going to be good or anything. It's like, well, come on, Donald Trump is such a narcissist. He only puts things out there going to make him look good. So he clearly did that. And you're right, he could have had a real impact on markets and everything else, uh, both good and bad, potentially when he does something that he shares information that he's not supposed to share as a leader. So you know, at some point uh, they're not going to be able to share it with him if he's going to do this, but of course his people will continue to do that. Um, you know, We may have to start looking at, again, more restrictions on the presidency because we have a president that can't, be trusted and I just think it's ironic I think you'll appreciate this Kyle is you know the moving trading places remember the uh was it the orange juice futures I think they have uh, extensive important that report was and the, the effect it had on the market and how they use that that's what this is when you have information like this and you release it in a way that doesn't follow the official format, you can have huge Im- impacts. And you know maybe Donald Trump will understand it better if we have him watch trading places
3: again. You almost you almost wonder if he had a conversation with Carl Icahn on the phone, and then thought, "Oh my God, I got to cover this up." And who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Anyhow, hang on. We'll be. This is the Tom Hartman program. It's midday's with Mark Friday edition. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour here on Anything Goes Friday. We'll be back with more of your calls for the congressman right after this. And then goes Friday here on the Tom Hartman program. It's uh, our first hour, Congressman Mark Pocan, our middays with Mark. This hour brought to you by GetQuip, Q-U-I-P dot com, the uh, the electric toothbrush. Bob, in San Diego, California, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan.
4: My question is, is uh, how come is it with all this voter suppression that goes on and all that you don't hear word one about uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, oversight or, uh, you know, uh, of elections on this uh, Working on this, and and even what other companies are working on this.
3: Didn't Supreme Court rule that Carter and the UN could not uh, view uh, U.S. elections in states that don't allow it, uh, Congressman?
0: Yeah, I don't know the answer to that, uh, Tom, offhand. I, I, it is a good point that Bob's making, which is, you know, here we've got a former president who goes around the world to make sure that we have election integrity in countries that may not otherwise. And here we don't even have election integrity in our own country. Um, you yeah, know, I think one promising thing, Bob, I can say is that a couple weeks back we had a, um, a press availability, a press conference uh, outside the steps of the Capitol. Uh, with uh, Democrat leadership in both houses, uh, John Sarbanes from Maryland uh, leads up a lot of our good government uh, efforts in Congress, and we actually have added uh, a plank to the better deal package that uh, you know Democrat leadership is promoting for going into the fall. but a big uh, part of it was on election integrity, uh, government ethics, campaign finance reform, and you know uh, I think that 's really positive because uh, there are a lot of bills that when we take the majority, we are going to need to pass to make sure that everyone has that. Um, very important ability to vote, and that their vote is counted, and they don't have to worry about uh, outside interference like we saw in 2016. So I think there are really good things moving on that front, and even if it's not Jimmy Carter, uh, I'm seeing it among my colleagues, and I think that's new from what I've seen previously.
3: Leslie in Central Square, New York, here on the Earth, Congress in Pocan.
5: Hello, uh, it's Leslie Dean. Uh, I want to go back to the NDAA again, okay? Because It's passed again. and
3: uh, This is the National Defense Authorization Act, a.k.a. our semiannual funding for the Pentagon, or biannual. uh, Okay. In the NDAA, in
5: 1948, it was called the Smith-Monored Act that said that the government cannot lie to the people. Okay. 2012, Obama attacked that. Okay. And uh, also you have uh, in this bill, everybody should know, but they don't that uh, gives the president the right to take any person away and never see him again. Okay? Now, how can... Uh, now, it, that was finished up to be fully taken out, that uh, Smith Mandate Act was turned around. And uh, so now they can totally lie to the people. Okay? The government can. All right? Uh, legally. Now, uh, when that was... Uh, Leslie, passed, what's the question? Time, okay, and this last time uh, that it was passed, uh, in 18, there was 87... In the Senate, 87 voted for this thing. Seven Democrats. Leslie, what's your question? The question is, how could that happen that that they would that uh, our Senate, especially the Democrats have, would vote for okay, something? Okay, I got it
3: uh... Congressman. Uh, you know, Leslie made a number of claims that I'm not sure are actually true. Uh, your thoughts on all yeah, this? Yeah.
6: I,
0: I, so le, let me say this to Leslie. So you know, um, I voted against it in the House, as did uh, many members of the progressive caucus, for a lot of reasons. Right? It's a lot of money that we're putting into defense that we think should be uh, going elsewhere that will help people in this country. This year, the process in the House was especially egregious. Um, there were over 600 amendments introduced, and I think only about 10 or 15, maybe 15, made an order two of which were to ensure American-made cutlery on our ships, Um, but nothing was taken up that I had on Yemen or on Gaza or any other thing that should belong in an NDAA bill. So uh, the whole process this time on the House was especially egregious. Uh, However, what happens is in many districts, many people have uh, companies that get a piece of this pie that uh, have people employed in their district, and they feel like they need to vote for it. Um, I don't. I look at it for other broader reasons, but I think that's why you sometimes see large numbers in a bipartisan way pass this bill because everyone in their district generally has multiple companies that um, you know are affected by this that employ lots and lots of people. Again, not at all rational for me. I look at the awful process we had in the House, 600 amendments, many of them very substantial and weighty, and we were voting on American-made cutlery on ships. It was a bad, pathetic
3: process. Well, it sounds like a knife manufacturer made an investment in a member of Congress.
0: Yes, someone in their district makes cutlery and you know, and and honestly I have Fairbanks Morse in my district and makes these big engines for ships and you know, we're supposed to for American especially military ships, buy American made products for lots of good reasons. The Coast Guard and some others don't always do that. But you know, I, I don't put an amendment per se in there, but I, for someone to put it on cutlery and to make that in order when, you know, real substantial issues like aiding uh, in, in what's going on in Yemen or not even beginning to even take a look at what's happening in Gaza right now, um, you know, that, that's just how ridiculous it was. We couldn't take up anything of substance instead of yeah. up those kind of amendments.
3: Yeah, and this thing's become a giant slush fund. Yeah. Remarkable. Twenty-seven minutes past the hour, Congressman Mark Pocan, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, representing the 2nd District of Wisconsin, is taking your calls for the hour on the Friday edition of Middays with Mark. We'll be back with more of your calls for the Congressman right after this. Welcome back to the Tom Harmon Program, 34 minutes past the hour, helping you win the water cooler wars. It's our Friday edition of Middays with Mark, Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls for the hour. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois. Russ, you are on the Earth Congressman Pocan.
6: Ah,
7: yes. Thank you, Mr. Pocan, for taking my call. This is a little in the future call. You guys win the House. You think Nancy Pelosi next year at this time would maybe think about stepping down because of the aggravation that's going to come? Let's be frank, she's going to have a hard time controlling the Maxine Waters and the girl from Florida with the hat. You know they're going to be blowing steam on the Republican Party. You think she's going to step
0: down or just turn a blind eye and let them loose to do whatever they want? Yeah, Russ, I, I tell you, I, you know, we have um... – a lot of conversations about should we even make this a subject, which I think the answer we try to tell people, in, in and I'm trying not to not answer your question, but let me say it this way we've got to win in November. Uh, we've got to pick up 24 seats. Uh, we're competitive in 110 districts that we have potential to pick up across the country. And uh, until we pick up the majority, we don't have the luxury uh, of the question that you're asking, which is, you know, uh, who will be our leader. Um, so I think what we're trying to do really is just keep our head down and work as hard as possible on getting to that majority and then if we are lucky enough to have the problem of figuring out who our leader is we will have that uh, issue but uh, we've got to win the majority first. And uh, I can tell you whoever the leader is uh, will have their hands full because if we have a 10 seat margin, 20 seat margin, you know, we've got a lot of blue dogs. Uh, that's the most conservative element within our caucus that are probably going to be the bigger problems as we try to move things that the general caucus supports. Uh, you know, it's going to be a challenge no matter what. So, I, Russ, I, I'm not trying to not answer your question. What I'm trying to say is I think we all need to be focused on the November election. And then I will be on the air several times with you uh, before we have a. Uh, the leadership election, or at least uh, I think it will be several times before then. I'll be glad to have that conversation at that point, but right now um, we are trying to keep focused on it's all about let's get to that 24 seat plus majority, and then we've got potential to do the rest.
3: Amen. Don, in Winsboro, South Carolina, you're on the earth, Congressman Mark Pocan.
8: Uh Yeah, hey Tom and Representative, how are you, gentlemen, today? Good. Good Don, thank you. Um, I called you about two weeks ago, Tom, and spoke to you about an Armed Forces retirement home,
3: Yeah. Uh, two of them. Yeah, you said. And the- I'd
8: like the Representative Pocan, if he could, uh, if someone could, on his staff could look into it and uh, see what's going on. Uh, what I explained before was uh, these two retirement homes, Armed Forces retirement homes, have got residents in both the homes, and they've given up whatever lifestyle they had move into these homes uh, many, most of them because of their health and uh, and age now the home is saying come 1 October they're going to increase the fee for the mem- the uh, residents from 40 percent to 60 percent of their gross income many of these people that will take up almost every cent they have and they'll get a stripping from the home to, to get the necessities that they need these people uh, have have not gotten any warning that the cost was going to go from 40% of their gross income to 60. That's a 50% increase in what they're going to be paying each month. Also, there's a minimum amount uh, or maximum amount you can pay per month is 1500 and change. The, that amount is going on one October from 1500 to 3000 and change, a hundred percent increase. And Representative Pocan, if you could have someone on your staff look into it, it's Armed Forces Home in Washington, D.C., and Armed Forces Homes in Gulfport, Mississippi. My wife and I are both retirees, Air Force, and we're thinking about going to these homes, but this is getting uh, a little steep on the expenses for uh, for going into the home. Don,
0: uh, thank you for that, and I will be glad to. So um, Gulfport, Mississippi, and Washington, D.C. Okay, so uh, I will definitely look into it. This is one of the sad stories uh you know Don that at a time that we have put so much extra money into the defense uh, department for army contractors and should say military contractors uh, that we're not taking care of the people who've already served this country or are serving this country, um, you know. Donald Trump tried to claim he was the only person to provide uh, increases in pay, and then of course that all the articles are showing how that's not true. That there've been bigger increases and all the rest. But uh, especially on the retiree side, you know, I would argue, uh, Tom, that we have a, a retiree crisis uh, coming very quickly in this country. Uh, the fact that so many people are independent contractors right now—I think it's 70 million people—are estimated to be independent contractors. Many miscategorized that way who won't have any kind of retirement uh, that we. We are in a real um, point of, uh, we've got to address it as a country or else we're going to have people living in poverty in their, in their senior years. And Don, as you said, 50% increases and those kind of giant increases are an awful lot for uh, you know, people who have served this country and are living in those facilities. So I'll be glad to look into it, but uh, it is one of the sad states of affairs that this is what the Trump administration sees as a way to try to save money as opposed to uh, you know, the additional nuclear weapons that he wants us to have when we already have thousands.
3: Joe in Kent, Washington, listening to KBCS. You're on the air with uh, with Congressman Mark Pocan. Hello,
4: Congressman, Thank uh, you. I'm I'm like a wannabe political cartoonist without the talent, but I, I I've had one uh, floating around my head for a while, and that's uh, Trump's. Let's uh, drain this, drain the swamp. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what he's done is. Uh, Instead of draining the swamp, he's created a, a cesspool, uh, no, even a cess sea, with a whole lot of floaters. the <laughs> boss and and uh, uh, old EPA guy, and you know, <laughs> yeah, <that's>, that.
3: <laughs> so, you're, do you have and, a question, Cajo, uh, or is that your comment?
4: Um, well, no, I, I just wanted to throw that out.
9: Okay, uh, great, I Congressman. Don't
3: radio, I thank you. Okay, Congressman, yeah. your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, Joe, I'll tell you. You know, you uh, even though I know you're saying it just, you know, looking at you know as a cartoonist how you would depict what's happened, I think you're you're putting your thumb on something that I think um, is one of the most underrated um, reasons why Donald Trump was successful. We know that in many ways, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump had a very similar message around the rigged system. Uh, now, Donald Trump, of course, didn't mean it, but he got a very good phrase in there, drain the swamp. We know that he's dredged even a bigger swamp. He's built a high-rise luxury condo on the swamp. It it's anything. He just put his own class of swamp creature in. But it really resonated because so many people economically feel like they aren't better off when the economy has come back for the stock market and for productivity and for the wealthiest. It hasn't yet done that for everyone else. So I think, you know, where we would make a huge mistake if we don't recognize that, the, that Donald Trump was brilliant in dealing with the drain the swamp where we have to be able to respond back and we did polling on this time for the progressive caucus in 30 competitive congressional districts people consider the swamp also to be big banks and big corporations. And if we don't recognize that because they toss a nickel or two our way at campaign time, we don't deserve to be in the majority. And I think that that issue of drain the swamp really does resonate very, very strongly. People across the political spectrum still feel like the system is rigged against them, and it is. And we have to be honest enough and willing enough
3: to say that and how we would address it. Carl in Greenville, South Carolina. You're on the air with Congressman Mark Pocan. Well, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Carl Rudd, and
4: I have been watching your show for a little while, and I love it. It's a whole lot better than mainstream media. Thank you. Uh, I, I would like to ask the congressman what his response is going to be and what Congress's response is going to be about the $21 trillion of unaccounted-for spending. Uh, from what I see on my news feeds, it, it's mostly military. So I'm I'm like Jethro Bodine. I've done graduated fifth grade. I know my Gazentas twenty one trillion dollars of unaccounted for spending that doesn 't add up, so what is your response going to be to that, and what should congress's response be?
0: Yeah, Caroline, as you pointed out, uh, much of that, in fact, I think the line share of it is in the defense department, uh, and one of the bills that we 've had out there that we 've actually worked on with um, some more conservative members of the Republican Party. So there is bipartisan support. Is an effort to audit the Pentagon. Right now we don't do that, and we need to do that. When so much money is out there and no one is looking after it, uh, you can only imagine the potential abuses. But also, uh, you know, maybe not intentional abuses, but unintentional. Uh, abuses that lead to having this kind of uh, economic situation. So, to me, that should be a priority for anyone, uh, Democrats or Republicans. Let's make sure that we're treating
3: everything with the same scrutiny as tax dollars, and that means auditing the Pentagon. Amen. We are talking with Congressman Mark Pocan. It's the Friday edition of Middays with Mark here on Anything Goes Friday on the Tom Hartman program. We will be back with more of your calls for Congressman Pocan in just a moment. It's coming up on 15 minutes before the top of the hour. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Congressman Mark Pocan taking your calls. Charlene in Nokomis, Illinois. You are on the air with Congressman Pocan.
1: Hi. uh, Congressman Pocan, I was uh, wanting to ask you about uh, liberal news that we heard on Amy Goodman's show, Democracy Now! last week, and The Intercept has made an animated video about it, that Democratic officials are working to stop progressive candidates in primaries all over the country, instead choosing to back corporate candidates that are business-friendly. They've got proof of it. A little guy called Levi Tillman in Denver, Colorado. He he recorded Congressman Steny Hoyer telling him he's supposed to be the number two guy after under Nancy Pelosi, telling him to drop out. You know, and also the D Triple C, they say, has renewed its friendship with the Blue Dog Caucus, which is conservative, funded by Wall Street, big oil, big banks, to pick candidates that are
0: you know corporate. So, friendly. so we have a little less than and a minute left here, Charlene. Thing. Let's get
3: let's get Congressman Poechian's thoughts on this lot on the table.
0: Yeah, so, Charlene, you did put a lot on the table, but I, I, first of all, I don't think the DCCC should interfere in primaries, period. I think there has been a concern around California because of the jungle system, where you could have six Democrats, two Republicans, in a 60% Democratic district. If they split up the vote, the two candidates going forward could be Republicans. So that's always a dilemma. I don't understand that system, um, but I'm not making an excuse for the D-TRIP to get involved. I think even worse when they go against one person but not for anyone, that seems even in more uh, astray. And I think when people try to talk someone out of running, like you saw in Colorado, um, at that level from leadership, that doesn't uh, serve us well. Uh, let, let people figure out the primaries, like we just saw in a district in Nebraska. Now we need to have the d triple to get behind the Democrats in those races. And, uh, you know, I think uh, as progressives, we do back progressive candidates. Blue Dogs can back
3: more conservative candidates. But as a DCCC and as a party, it should be neutral. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much, Congressman.
0: Thank you, Tom. Again, appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you.
3: You too. You got a great, great talking. We'll be back. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs. And if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason you're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X-chair. The X-chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body in a way you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X-chair. And the X-chair's sleek, modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week year round. Feel and see the X Chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, tom, T H O M, dot com, or call 1 844 4X Chair. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, refer, return it for a full refund. Order today and save $100 and get free shipping. If you go to xchairtom.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com or call one 844 x We have one here. We love it. xchairtom.com. This is the Tom Hartman program. Welcome back, Tom Hartman. Here with you on the line with us is Michael Pollan. He's the author, journalist, activist, and professor of journalism at UC Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. His website, Michael Pollan, polla You can tweet him at Michael Pollan as well. And uh, he has uh, a new book out and uh, a, a new article in. Uh, it was the cover of the New York. It was the New York Times magazine, wasn't it, Michael? Yeah, it was last Sunday. It was the Sunday before last, yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the book on my, uh, on my one sheet here. What's the title of the book?
10: The title of the book is uh, How to Change Your Mind, and the subtitle is What the New Science of Psychedelics is Teaching Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction,
3: Depression, and Transcendence. Thank you. I, in fact, I did a book report on this book, which is on video and on our website now, but I just, I just didn't have it right in front of me. Um, so, Michael, how do you change your mind? Tell us what you learned in writing this book.
10: Well, what I learned was that um, psychedelic drugs, such as psilocybin, uh, especially, and also LSD uh, and mescaline, uh, have been used for many years uh, in healing uh, you know, as a therapeutic aid, and research into its value today resumed. There's a renaissance going on, and there are very important trials being conducted in places like NYU and Johns Hopkins, using especially psilocybin, because it's less controversial than LSD, to... Um, and psilocybin is the, mag- is the ingredient in magic mushrooms to uh, help people deal with anxiety, depression, addiction, um, obsession. And uh, they're getting wonderful results. Uh, the, the, you know, These are still small preliminary trials, but the, the signal here is very strong. And uh, so I decided to explore this, uh, looking at it from a historical, scientific, and personal point of view.
3: I, I had uh, tried psychedelics, uh, LSD, mescaline, uh, psilocybin, uh, back in the late '60s, as a teenager, and um, and by the way, I'm not recommending recommending that teenagers do this, but it just the the knowledge and and, and I got I, as a result of that, I had this deep belief, this deep n- knowing, that the world that I see around me is merely a piece of it all, and that the way my brain works is only a, a fragment of the, this greater universal consciousness. I mean, there was just so real, it literally altered the the course of my life, and to this day, you know, more than 50 years later, is still with me. Is that a common experience?
10: Yeah, it is, and I've been really struck uh, since I've been out talking about the book to audiences all over the country, how many people had an experience like yours, Tom, some powerful experience that pretty much they've kept in a box labeled weird drug experience for many, many years, um, but in fact was transformative. And the drugs appeared to uh, make, te- you know, temporarily rewire the brain in a way that uh, gives people a, a very uh, fresh and powerful perspective on the scene of their own lives and, um, and allows people to change. Um, they you know, most, most people do them at the age you were, you know, as teenagers or in their early twenties, but it also appears that they have special value for people later in life. Um, you know, I was approaching 60 before I uh, actually experimented with psychedelics, and by the time you're 60, you're kind of stuck in certain habits of thought, uh, for better or worse. Um, you kind of have these mental algorithms to help you navigate the day. Um, but they tend to blind you to the present moment, to fresh experience, to, to wonder. And to shake the snow globe, as one of the doctors, uh, one of the researchers working in this uh, suggested, has a special value, I think, for people when they're getting older, when, when they're kind of locked in to ways of thinking. Uh, Not to mention people who are seriously locked into ways of thinking, and, and I'm talking about addicts and depressives.
3: Yeah, absolutely agreed. Although I, I would add, as, a, as perhaps a cautionary note, and I'd love to get your take on this. I know from from reading your, I actually have your book right here in my hand now. How <laughs> to change your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Michael was uh, also the author of the Omnivores Dilemma and has been on this program before about that. Um, I, you know, when I when I t- the first time I took acid, it was with a guy named Keith St. Clair, who was one of Tim Leary's twelve disciples that he sent out into the world. And Keith came to East Lansing to MSU to teach us how uh-huh. to appropriately use acid. It was with him and the pastor of the local. Meth Methodist church. Um, oh, wow. And we did it in the sanctuary. And then, you know, later and another experience I had with a group of Native Americans, those were profound experiences. But I had friends who were taking acid and going to parties and ending up having just meltdown horror trips. And so set and setting, I always thought set and setting has to be the, the beginning and end of the whole thing.
10: Absolutely right. Those terms which were introduced by Timothy Leary, um, but developed a few years before, basically um, make use of the fact that there there are no drugs more suggestible in their effects. There's nothing inherent in the LSD molecule or the psilocybin molecule. It's activating things already present in your mind. And uh, so set means mindset, Uh, you know, the kind of internal environment you're dealing with when you embark on one of these journeys. And a setting is literally the physical setting. And the fact that you did it in such a uh, a sacred place, and you had guidance uh, from people you trusted, is why you had such a positive experience, I would bet. And and people do have horrifying, terrifying experiences. And it's often the result of one of two things. Either the setting, uh, they've taken a handful of mushrooms and walked down the city street or gone to a concert, uh, and don't feel safe. or the fact that they were resisting what was happening in their mind. The fact is, at a high dose, these drugs commandeer your mind for a period of time, and you may well feel your sense of self or ego dissolving. Now, that can be a terrifying experience, and if you resist it, you'll get very anxious. Um, So what a guide does, and and most of the, 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 um, the use of these drugs now in the therapeutic setting is guided very carefully by one or two people who are with you the whole time and are not partaking of the drugs. Um, But the guides prepare you by telling you, you should surrender. Uh, Don't fight whatever happens. And if you go with it, if you relax your mind and float downstream, as John Lennon famously wrote, you're bound to have a much more positive experience than if you resist what is happening in your mind.
3: Yeah, the the one thing I remember from uh, Keith speaking to me when I did have a, whoa, what's going on here, was no matter what happens to you, this drug is going to wear off in five or six hours, no matter what happens. And so, you know, just, just, just relax and enjoy it, uh, it to the extent that you can. And, and, and it will, you know, you're going to come back to normal, whether you want to or not. And, of course, that's yeah. what happened. So, uh, Michael, the, the, the fate and future of psychedelics, you know, obviously the, the psychiatric and psychological communities are starting to look at these seriously. The spiritual communities are also looking at them seriously. But the legal community still considers this stuff, uh, you know, if you touch it, you go to prison. Do you yeah. see any changes schedule, happening in that realm? It's a Schedule I drug, which is the, uh, the highest or
10: lowest category, and it means that the drug has no accepted medical use and it has a high potential for abuse. Uh, both those facts turn out not to be true, although officially there's still the, the line. Um, I think what's happening is that these drugs, along with MDMA, the, uh, which, which is also known as ecstasy or Molly, are on a track to be approved by the FDA as medicine. So that the researchers working with them are conducting drug trials under FDA auspices, and once they get through the required set of trials and, and have tested the drugs on enough people and proven that they're effective and safe—which they're well on their way to doing—the FDA will declare psilocybin and MDMA a medicine, and at that point, doctors will be able to prescribe it. So I think that's the future course. I think there is a very good chance that within the next five years, uh, these drugs will be approved for use in medicine. I don't. I don't a future where they'll be legalized for everybody, um, and uh, I think there is a real virtue in um, uh, controlling or regulating the experience, um, the kinds of experience. One of the things we learn from traditional cultures, I heard you were just talking about the Shoshone, is that many of them use psychedelics. Uh, and this is in the new world and the old world. There are ma- many psychedelic plants and, and mushrooms, um, but they always did it in a highly controlled uh, setting. There were always elders or a shaman present, there was um, uh, always a sense of ceremony, and you could only use the drugs in this particular setting. I think this minimized the kinds of psychological risks that are a real, you know, a real threat with these drugs. Yeah. So that whatever happens with it, I would hope that we don't go down the path we did with cannabis, which is kind of, you know, in many states, which is kind of, you know, if you're over 18, you can do whatever you want. Um, I think that the idea of having licensed guides uh, or doctors involved is, is probably a good one because they're powerful drugs and yeah. they have great potential for for benefit and potential for psychological
6: harm.
3: I would completely agree. Michael Pollan, his new book, How to Change Your Mind: What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. And we didn't even get into a conversation about people who are dying or are in extraordinary pain and how useful these things are. You can read about it in Michael's book. Michael Pollan, great, brilliant work as always. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Tom. A pleasure as usual. Thank you. Great talking with you. Michaelpollan.com is the website. Hang on. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And it's spelled P-O-L-L-A-N. You can tweet him at Michael Pollan. Welcome back. It's Anything Goes Friday here on the Tom Hartman Program. And Carol in Murrells, Inlet, South Carolina. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind?
11: Uh, for, uh, Tom, hi. I like the guy's saying. I think that can be played with. Remember in November... That there was a the big lie that, that only 64 people died from after Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico, and the numbers now are 4,600 plus. Right. I was I was on the island of Vieques in the 80s uh... during war games. That that was one of the Puerto Rican islands. That's um, the one we used to bomb, wasn't it? Well, Vieques was the it was the bombing range for the U.S. military for right. case and I was there during war games that I found out later was the lead-up to the Grenada invasion under uh, Reagan, right? Oh, my. Um, all night long, ordinances going off. That island has not been cleaned up. Two-thirds of the island was U.S. military. It isn't currently, but it is a hazmat site. It's a super fun site. It needs to be cleaned up. I think executive order, Trump's loves those ex- executive orders, um, he needs to uh, get... Uh, boots on the ground, deployed U.S. military without weapons, though, but with shovels and whatever to start digging up unexploded ordnance and clean up that island. And furthermore, I would like to see it turned into solar and wind farms that can provide electricity for all of Puerto Rico. Yeah, uh, is that we, the U.S. taxpayers, owe that owe the Puerto Ricans that much. And we're starting a new hurricane season, and I'm so frightened. Depends on what can happen because they're
3: still not up, you know, up and running. Oh, they're not and even halfway there. I mean, it's uh, even what's running is so fragile. And and in that year, if uh, Elon Musk, he you know he he actually uh, solarized a hospital down there. If if uh, you know the solar companies and the Trump administration had worked something out, they could have hardened that island. I mean, Cuba was back in business a week after Maria, and it was hit right, you know, dead on. Cuba was hit dead on. Puerto Rico, using American infrastructure and, and, and privatized companies in some cases, and, you know, and, then, and then these contractors from Whitefish, Montana, uh, you know, it just you know, is a basket case as, as a result of you know, our infliction of, of this insane crony capitalism on them. I, I think it's just terrible. Uh, excellent points, Carol. Thank you for the call, and thanks for making them. Elton in Lima, Ohio. Hey, Elton, what's up?
9: Hey, it's been a long time. Regarding the tariffs, I, if the public knew what it was costing them, I think you'd have a different reaction to saying, oh, we're just putting it to the Europeans or whatever. The Moroni label on a new car for instance, has to list everything that adds up to the price. Put the tariff on there for people to see. I think you'll have a different reaction.
3: Well, it could be. I mean, uh, Elton, the way it should work is that uh, we impose tariffs. That causes manufacturing to be uh, uh, desirable, fashionable, uh, profitable to do once again in the United States. Uh, then manufacturers go into business and they start hiring people and they hire at good old-fashioned union wages. The problem with that is that ever since Reagan good old-fashioned union wages have largely vanished. I mean, Reagan declared war on labor when he came into office. A third of the American workforce was unionized. Now it's six percent in the private sector. And and you've got GM, which used to be offering in today's dollars the equivalent of 50 bucks an hour starting out with a good union job on the, on the assembly lines. Now they're starting at $14.50 an hour. So, you know, it's going to be really hard to see that manufacturing come back, produce those good jobs if we don't combine like Sherrod Brown advocates, for example, and the Progressive Caucus advocates a tariff-based trade system, a mercantilist trade system, which I am uh, I, an advocate for, along with restoring protections to labor so that they can demand reasonable prices and we can once again rebuild the middle class. I don't mind spending an extra 500 bucks for my car if I'm making an extra 2000 bucks in my paycheck this year because I've got a decent job making cars. I do mind spending right. an extra 500 bucks on the car if I'm not making an extra penny anywhere, even if I'm now doing manufacturing. So that makes sense? I understand.
9: No, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned Reagan. I just want to add one thing in there. Without, besides the unions, his cutting the top tax rate down made it much less profitable for a business to give higher wages. That's correct. I mean, if you have a 70% tax and you give a $1,000 raise, it only costs you $300 because the other $700 would have been taxes anyway. Right. And that's driven, driven wages down across the board.
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, this is, and this is the big thing, by the way. Tax cuts across-the-board tax cuts don't help working people because their employers know that they've got more take-home pay, so they're just going to freeze their wages for the next decade, which is exactly what happened in the, in the 80s, the 90s, and the early 2000s, is nobody saw a wage oh, increase because the taxes went down, so the take-home pay actually went up, and, and employers knew they were willing to work for less than that. On the other hand, when you cut taxes on rich people, they actually see a benefit from it, which is why the rich people have gotten massively more rich and and you know the rest of us mm, no not so much and uh, right, you know exactly so this is this is yeah thanks a lot for the call Elton see this is this is the thing there's the, it, Trump goes out and demagogues this like it oh it's just all about tariffs and trade policy and we're going to stick up for American manufacturers and we're going to bring back American steel and all this kind of stuff but it's there are multiple factors here and the Republicans are on the wrong side of history on all of them except the tariffs which is why their tariffs are not going to work because you have to combine that with with a you know a, a reasonable trade policy with reasonable domestic policies and and you have to and you can't do it in these five-year windows like mike pence is talking about he just blew up the nafta negotiation by saying it's got to be everything's got to be in a five-year window nobody's going to build a damn factory including here in the united states knowing that in five years the whole rules of the game are going to change it just it just doesn't happen by the way you've got a super treat coming up for you in about six minutes Uh, Sean Taylor has been the executive producer of this program for 10 and a half years. She has uh, done virtually everything here except fill in for me, which she's about to do. She books our guests. She runs our board. She's answered calls. She's done all kinds of stuff. Uh, She was here with Louise and I when we were in Portland, uh, when we moved to D.C. She stayed here in, in Portland, but continued to be our executive producer and run the show. She is spectacular. And she is going to be taking the rest of your calls right after this because I got to hop on a plane. I'm going over to London to see Sue uh, who who was running our chat room and doing our newsletter. She she just had surgery. She's getting better in the hospital. I'll give you a report on how Sue Nethercutt is doing when I get back from England on Monday. I'm coming back Sunday afternoon, but my plane is leaving in about an hour, so I got to run. So up next, Sean Taylor. Stick around. It's 28 minutes past the hour on Anything Goes Friday.
12: back to the Tom Hartman program. Do not adjust your sets or your dial. I am not Tom. I'm Sean Taylor, Tom's producer for many years, and Tom is traveling, so I'll be taking your calls for the next 30 minutes. So let's get right to your phone calls. We're going to talk to Mike in, is it Loma Lita, California? Mike?
13: Sean. Yeah, just a quick update on the incident last week where the NFL owners allegedly voted to penalize players who kneel during the national anthem.
6: Mm-hmm.
13: Well, it turns out from later reporting by an ESPN reporter that they never took a formal vote. This was just the announcement of some sort of an informal straw poll, so enforceability might be a problem. Uh, also, uh, a lot of callers last week were saying that NFL has non-profit status. It has not had that for about three years. What they do have, is their license to print money, is an antitrust exemption, which was put in mm-hmm. in 1966. And there have been right-wing threats against the NFL's antitrust exemption ever since the uh, whole business of kneeling during the National Anthem started, uh, right-wing sites saying, gee, antitrust is so terrible, and uh, all these second paragraph, all these bums are kneeling and disrespecting the flag. So that's the background of why they came out with the announcement, I suspect.
12: How do you feel about, them, about the, the players kneeling? Are you okay with that?
13: Well, I do it every week in church. I see no problem
12: with it. <laughs> well said, Mike. Thanks for the call. Uh, Emma, Emma, Anna, New York. Whoops, hang on here. Let Mike go. And all right, we're learning the phone system. Here we go. Emma okay, in thank New you. York. Yeah, Hi.
14: Speaking. Speaking. Yes. This is this country has been has its had its, its high points. It's a uh, it's, uh, golden eras, like England. Mm-hmm. It has had its good and bad times. We are facing so many discriminations. We are facing fighting. We are facing discriminations. This country belongs to the natives, nativos, and what is happening is wrong. So um, whether it's in our government... That when somebody speaks, it is through the power of the tongue. I happen to be a Catholic who converted from the Hari Krishna movement to Catholicism. It is through the power of the tongue. So when Jesus was, Jesus preached for three years. He said, "Don't go to the oppressed; go to the oppressor." And I think that that can change America, and not only that, unite the whole globe,
12: or get the oppressors out of office. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Good. Well said. Well said, Emma. Thank you for the call. Chris watching. Oh, wait, we'll save that one for the break. Free speech. Uh, David watching in Lombard, Illinois. David, you have some advice for Democrats? Yes. Hi. Hi, David. You're on the air.
4: Thank you. I'm a uh, dyed in the blue uh, Democrat. I will always be true to it. But I have a real problem with the Democratic Party right now because I don't know what They stand for I don't know what they want to do you know I don't see a list of priorities every week I get a dozen letters from different organizations and senators and House of Representatives for three and five dollars you know it's like obviously everybody's out for for getting their hands but I don't see it's like Tom was just talking about Reagan did this and Reagan did that well we've had two Democratic presidents since Reagan, each at eight years. And the problems that these things have caused are not, why couldn't Obama or Clinton rescind what Reagan did if it was so bad? I just look, want to see a list of things, the first things on November after the election, after we take control, what, what's going to get done? What's right. the highest priority to go back
12: David, let me ask you a question. Are you showing yeah. up at your local chapter meetings?
4: I used to. I haven't. I've been planning to. I'm going to Okay.
12: Because yeah. if you want things to change and you want to know what's being done, you've got to be part of the solution, and that means showing up.
4: Well, I used to, I, for a long time, I was making phone calls. I've got some health issues now. I can't walk anymore. But, uh, you know, I'm 70 years old, and I'm kind of concerned that these things aren't going to get they're not going to inspire the young people to come Mm -hmm. in and see what's going to happen.
12: Well, I believe like Tom does that we are the ones that we've been waiting for and that it's it's time for all of us to get active. And if you can't go to meetings, call your local uh, representatives and, and let them know how you feel. Call the DNC and let them know how you feel. And if you have a list of things that you'd like to see them add, then, uh, by all means, let them know. You know, they—they're not mind readers.
4: But our leaders know these things. Tom's talking about these things. They all know these things. But we have Why to
12: hold—we have to hold them accountable. If we don't tell them that that's what we want them to do, then you know, they're not necessarily going to do them. Um, they may know them, but they need to be reminded.
4: Well, we go every year. Every four years, we put on a, a platform. True. Before the election, mm-hmm. but do we have a platform that just is a a running platform? So we all know that on November eighth, or whatever the date is for this election, or after the next, uh, after we take control of Congress, uh, this is these are the, this is the priority. I mean, we should have sure. a a list and a priority list, and we go back to the Reagan things. Okay, so they uh, they knocked down the. Uh, Tax rate down, you know, so we're not able to, to do this, you
12: know. Well, well we, the first yeah. thing we gotta do is get control of the House and the Senate again. So that's getting active, right. getting involved with your local party. If you can't, calling the people who can. Um, if you can't knock on doors, make phone calls. You know, answer answer phones at the phone banks. But it's important to get involved or or none of this is gonna happen if we all run off in different directions. We've gotta get together and we've gotta make change happen. And we can. We all know we can. David, thank you for the call. I'm going to move along here and go to let's see, Judy listening to AM 1310 in Wyandot. Is that Michigan, Judy?
15: Yes. Yeah, Hi,
12: you're on the air. You want to talk Hi, about what Democrats me. should do?
15: Yeah. Well, I'd like to talk about what they're not doing and what they could do. Um, I every 100% with the last caller. Uh I just made a comment an hour ago to somebody that I get emails every single week from Indivisible Uh with a plan of action, action plans for me to do every week. I am vice president of one Democratic club. I am an active member of another, and I have volunteered my time on countless campaigns. Uh I am extremely active, and what the Democratic Party is doing from the top down is awful. They do nothing. I have never seen a voter registration drive organized in my county. I have never seen a small, what, Sean King had an excellent editorial in the New York Daily News Mm -hmm. about how the Democrats have a hard time admitting that they don't, they're not connecting well with the people who they want to support them. All I get is emails asking for money. I get no concrete suggestions on what I could be doing to affect change. And just voting for Democrats is not enough right now. That's not who's winning. Who's right. winning? Progressives are winning. People that's who right. genuinely and people who genuinely inspire other people are winning. Which that's is, who's winning. And that's what the Democrats need to
12: do. Find and right, people. and Judy, that's why we all need to be showing up at the meetings. It sounds like you're leading the way in in your community and we need everybody else to get involved and get active. You can't do it alone. Okay. Um, and and it's got to start from, that's part if, of it. if it's not coming that's, from the top down, it's got to come from the ground up.
15: Well, and that's you that, and me. But you can, progressive candidates, progressive people in clubs can get behind progressive candidates. Mm-hmm. And the leaders of the, of the DCCC will step in and say, no, 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 no. that's not who we're looking at. They just did it in the attorney general race in Michigan. And guess what? The progressives showed up in record numbers at Cobo Hall. And we voted for the progressive Democrat that we wanted. And Dana, Dana Nestle is on our ballot in August.
12: Good in on you. Well, that's a lesson yeah. for everybody yeah. else to get out there and do what it you're is. doing. It is. Yep. It Let is. them know. Use your voice. Use accept- your vote. I do. But they
15: When the people at the top are tone deaf. It feels sometimes like you're beating your head against
12: the wall. Yep, I hear you, they but that just means, you, to means to you have to say it louder. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank, thank you leaders. for the call, Judy. I'm going to move along here, but thank you.
15: Thank
12: you. All right, let's see. We've got Mike uh, listening in West Palm Beach. Hi, Mike. Hi. What's on your mind? I can hear, I can hear you. Fine.
7: Great. Great. Um, what is being said is it's extremely important. The involvement of the um, progressives and Democrats and independents to change this government is it's crucial. But I need to remind people, um, the demon of Donald Trump is only there because 45 percent of the people in this country are happy with him. That's a scary issue. Mm-hmm. And when, when he is gone, which he will be gone, you cannot make these assumptions that, well, you know, we, we did our job, we made a mistake, and now we got rid of him. You know what? This GOP push has been going on for 40 years. And I want to remind people that the worst thing that has happened in the last 50 years in 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 our democracy was not done by Donald Trump, mm-hmm. but it was done by Mitch McConnell. Um, the, well said. The
12: of, well the said. A, the, theft
7: Scot- the theft of a SCOTUS pit was the biggest crime against the— Constitution, and he is proud of it. He is bragging that he is a, a a student of the Constitution. Yet that theft was the greatest crime, and I give him credit for getting away with it because uh, all of Americans should be on should have been on the streets. Even Republicans should have said, you know what? This is going to come back to haunt us, which it will. Mm-hmm. If we fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, they owe they owe Democrats and and progressives. Two SCOTUS picks now. And the picks that we make should be, uh, I don't care, should be the most liberal, transgender, I don't care. But to make up for that theft, we should really stick it to them for a change.
12: Well, you know, we should do what's best for the country, too. So and uh, let's impeach Mitch McConnell. That'd be fun. Oops, looks like he hung up, Chris. Uh, I'm going to hang on to you here, Steve. Listening to WCPT, you want to talk about political reform?
9: Well, actually, yes, and part I wanted to respond to a couple of the previous callers. I mean, with all due respect to people, I know that the Democrats are, aren't doing the greatest job in terms of messaging. But you know, it's not up to a political party to be your political life coach. Uh, you, you're not <laughs> fifth graders, and no one who's ever taken a civics class or ever taken a basic political science class in college needs a political party to tell you the difference between Republicans and Democrats and their policies. I mean for heaven's sakes in the day of the internet you can easily research this on your own. And it's not up to the Democratic Party to handhold your way through this process to give you an idea of what distinguishes them from the Republicans. And and to say that as a previous caller suggested, well, we've had Democratic presidents. Yes, they were presidents. We don't elect emperors in this country. Uh, Bill Clinton was a president for uh, only about a year or so before the, uh, before the Gingrich Revolution of 1994. So exactly how are you supposed to get things done, especially in light of the fact that we have plenty of blue-dog Democrats that vote uh, uh, continuously as if they were Republicans? So don't tell me that simply because we elected a Democratic president in, in Barack Obama and Bill Clinton uh, that you are all of a sudden looking for miraculous change that comes with a wave of a of a hand that's akin to a dictatorship. We don't have that in this country. That's and true. No matter how much power a president has, he doesn't have a seat on the Supreme Court. He inherits the Supreme Court from somebody else's nominee.
12: Yeah. So and let's it, get ours yeah. in next time, Steve. Thank you for listening to WCPT in Chicago, and uh, we'll be right back. We're coming up against the break, and uh, it's about forty eight minutes past the hour. And welcome back. Althea, you've been holding for a while. You've got an idea for Democrats?
16: Not so much an idea. as The previous callers, I agree with them in theory, but I think we stand, Democrats, and I refer to them more as sane and logical, with many um, ideas. I mean, any given day, any given weekend, you're out there and you see hundreds, if not thousands, of people marching for gun reform, education. Um, Medicare, Medicaid, um, you name it, it is like I'm out there. I've taken Tom Hartman to heart. I've gotten involved. I go to my LD18 um, district meetings. I donate, and I do sort through all the various um, organizations that have their hand out. It may be and it appears that the people at the top, the Tom Perez's, maybe are not um, getting their message out, but that's not up to them. It's for us. They are driven by us. Well
12: said, and good on you for getting involved, too, Althea. That's uh, You're absolutely right. They can deliver the message, but we need to get it out there and pass it around. And yes, and it's,
16: it's it's educating oneself, and I feel like I don't know if I'm a progressive. I, I know there's change, and I know we need to make it, but I have, going to these various meetings, found that these Bernie people have progressive for themselves, and good for them. But what I'm saying to them is be inclusive and don't believe that you have to be at the pinnacle of every single topic or conversation. Be inclusive. We can't have what we had in the last election where people were voting for Jill Stein just to spite the party and look at what we're living with. And I've always, being a minority, we've learned to always go for the greater good not what is happening for us, because Obama promised um, Hispanics, many of things, and we were always kicked to the bottom of the list. But the but was he is far better and was far better than what we currently have now, Mm -hmm. and he couldn't get his agenda because that previous gentleman said because Mitch McConnell was the party of no. We have to remember why we're being driven, and we have to stay involved. And the thing about it is I may not agree with certain people here in Arizona
12: just keep working on it there, Althea, and thank you for the call. Brooke, uh, listening to the program on Sirius, what's on your mind?
1: Yes, hi, thanks so much, Sean. I thanks for listening to Sirius, of- too. Thanks. Um, you're doing a great job, by thank the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, I agree with a lot of what the callers are saying. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's the Democratic Party is really being, out of fear, is being taken over by win-at-any-cost thinking. And I keep reminding them that it's win at any cost that made the Republican Party what it
12: is. Take it Here in back. New York,
1: right. We're being and and frankly, I have been involved on many, many levels for mm-hmm. many years. And I stopped being involved in our local Democratic Party because the head of it is a bully. In all honesty, I have a neighbor who is elderly. She's always out on the street getting names for uh, petitions, And I live in New York. And when she brings up the problem with Andrew Cuomo, which is a big problem, he governs like a Republican. He has the IBC. He's all for gerrymandering districts. He does what he wants. When Cynthia Nixon. Not, Good alternative. Well, yes, I'm yes, I'm working on her, but you know she was shut out of the party. But let me tell you, we know politics is local. And when she's brought up in this meeting, people roll their eyes. Gotcha. They
12: name call, and they actively bully. Brooke? Just keep plugging and thank you for what you're doing. I've got to let you go because we're running out of time here and I just want to get Tom's message out that democracy is not a spectator sport. It starts with all of us. Thanks for listening. Tag your it, as Tom would say. Have a great weekend. Tom will be back Monday.
3: You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.